I'm recording. Blew it. Do we want right. to make that appeal to, to Folgers? Or are we not there <laughs> just yet? Just any Catholic coffee company. Or just coffee company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would send say us just, free coffee. Yeah, send, we're out. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put internally at your disposal. Good to uh, be back, dudes. This is good to be back. Great to be back. I, I'm yeah. so glad. Look, at our parish, it's like the pastor. Okay, obviously he's he's the boss man. And then we got a bunch of people who work in the office. And then I'm at like the lowest tier. But. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That really yeah. is true. The associate pastor is the okay. lowest employee. Okay, but it's the best. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's totally the it's best. It's the best. He's the best. My life is fantastic. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm super happy. I'm super happy. <laughs> I go to bed by myself every night. My life is fantastic. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I just get to roam around and just do all these wild things. That's not even the point of what I was saying. Okay, but the the all-encompassing, the the most important thing in our entire parish is... Well, besides Jesus, obviously, is the calendar, mm. Mm. and the calendar is like this uh, objective, <laughs> like outside authority that everyone's like. Oh, but what does the calendar say? And so now that this is on the calendar, dude, we are good to oh. go. Oh, I'm pumped. I see what you did there. You see what yeah. I did there? Uh huh. Uh huh. I, I feel you. Did you it, put the? Did you put it on the staff calendar too? Like Father Mike will not be around. He's doing something really important. Don't bother him. I yeah. Give yourself an hour each way just for meditation mm-hmm. on the greatness of Three Dogs North. Before and well. after. Yeah. No, I always do that with appointments. I leave at least an hour before and after each one. Oh really? Yeah. That way that I have time to. No, of course I don't. Oh yeah, I, I don't. I do like I do <laughs> leave say. fifteen minutes, Oof. but because you never know, things go over. True. Yeah. No. Sometimes I will use. Well, I'll use appointments as like a backstop. So I'll I'll stack like three in a row to make sure mm-hmm. that each of them stays on time. Because if mm-hmm. I if I if you mess up one, then the other two are going to be out. True. And it just kind of oh. you can knock them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. And sometimes they don't go an hour. Sometimes they go. Okay. That's true. True. That's that. true. 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 That, Preach it. Yeah, man. Just, Preach. Well. Dude, I am. I am inundated with things to talk about this morning. Oh, great. Do that. I was, was kind of, I cut a little bit of butterflies sitting doing my uh, morning Bible and journal. I'm like, mm. oh, I don't really have anything. I mean, there's lots that's happened, mm. but mm-hmm. it was, I was weirdly nervous for the podcast this morning, which never happens. Are like, you serious? Yeah. Real th- I thought you were joking. <laughs> no. I was like, wow. oh gosh, what are we going to talk about? I'll hopefully Rob wow. brings something up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got I got a few things here. Well, I I honestly it, there's so many there's so many. So it's just been a pick something good, please. Okay, well <laughs> you got you guys can pick here. All right. So two weeks ago, I on my day off, I vegged out real hard, which was great, and I watched the new Thirty for Thirty on Dennis Rodman. Oh, which I love was, Dennis Rodman. I know, man. It took me back to being this little kid, and I was like, 
why is this guy so popular, you know? But uh, it was amazing. It was just fascinating to like hear this guy's story kind of start to finish. But then I like juxtapositioned that and I watched the Baron uh, new video on Flannery, which was incredible. Oh, his pivotal uh, players? His pivotal players on, on Flannery. And I don't even know, man. The Rodman one, it was so fascinating. Of it, So literally it ended like it's like an hour and a half or two hour thing. And it ended with Dennis Rodman today. Like he was crying, talking about how he's one of the 10 most recognizable human beings in the world. And he said, man, like you would think if you're one of the 10 most recognizable people in the world, that would make you happy. And he just shakes his head and like he's crying and that's how it ends. Wow. Oh, Mike, you back? Oh, Mike. I lost Mike. Oh, bummer. Um, might so this be. is an, a new 30 for 30? Yeah, it's the new 30 for 30. I think it's on, I didn't, because you have to have like a subscription to watch some of them, but you can, maybe through October or something, you can watch it just with an ESPN. If you get ESPN, you can watch it. So okay. it's very, very interesting. But it was interesting to, because Baron's whole thing on understanding Flannery is that she's like so in touch with what Grace is and like an actual experience of it in her life that she can look like unflinchingly into the darkness of human beings, mm-hmm. um, which is a beautiful way to understand her. And he walked through a couple of her stories and, and all of that. And it was just like, what a fascinating duo of people to like, in a sense, watch a life story back to back on yeah. of here's this, like the best rebounder in basketball history. And, Obviously, this I, he's just like so hard to describe, um, and yet here's this like little southerner, you know, gal who wrote these like fierce stories, um, and I don't know, I it, it, I just kind of walked away with the feeling that like both of them had like experienced some type of like humanity or, or human experience that very few people have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like Flannery was the one that I guess I walked away with like a desire for somehow like the worm Dennis Rodman to be able to integrate like, like grace into his life. Yeah. But I actually have hope for that because of watching Flannery, if that makes sense. Just how I wounded say this Dennis guy Rodman, is. I want to say Dennis Rodman grew up Catholic. Is that right or no? He didn't talk about it in the 30 for 30, okay. so I don't, but he didn't say either, either way. Um, I watched like some his, his YouTube dad wasn't around. Okay, right. his dad wasn't around when he was in. He played for like a junior college, ended up living with like this like small yeah. town family. I mean, it was just like yeah. The kid brings him home when he was at East Middle Tennessee or East Tennessee State. Yeah, uh, little no, kid, somewhere in Oklahoma, I think something yeah. like that. Yeah, and uh, the kid brings him home from the camp, like the college players run yeah. a basketball camp for the middle school and he like and he just sleeps on the floor like of this kid's bedroom and ends yeah. up like living with this family does christmas and thanksgiving and yeah man. yeah Did... i remember that didn't so yeah this is Detroit. like a two-hour documentary 
Yeah, he played for the Pistons he, and then the he Bulls. He played for the Pistons, and was it was that one of like the and big the Spurs. personality transitions, or at least image transitions when he went to the Bulls? That that's what I've heard. Is well, the, he was like really different when he was with the Pistons. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it was they'll say Chuck Daly in the movie, right? Was his kind of father figure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at yep. Detroit, and then. When the bad boy Pistons broke up, that was kind yeah. of his surrogate family. And then he went to San Antonio and started dyeing his hair and getting tats. Yep. It's, it's kind of wild looking at Dennis Rodman in the 90s. He was the weirdest guy in the world because he had tattoos on his arms. And now, hmm. is there an athlete in professional sports that's not tatted? No. Hmm. It's kind of wild. But he was hmm. he was something else. He was also incredibly fit. Um, oh, yeah. He would get done with a full game nba game which there are 82 of in the regular season alone and he would get on the stationary bike in the locker room after the game just to get a full workout in yeah well i mean this they talk about he would go on like later on in his career he would go on full benders and just drink like all night and then he would get up the next day and play like a just a fierce full on NBA game. Mm-hmm. And then the next night he would just go like out thirty and, rebounds. Right, it was insane. It was insane. Um, so I don't know, man. I was, I it was just like that's kind of like my interest in it was because I watched them back to back of him and Flannery. Mm-hmm. But uh, he is a fascinating like. There's you just feel like this guy's in pain, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, did you watch his uh, Hall of Fame speech? Yeah, well, they he talks had, about they his had mom. Like, yeah, they had clips on. He just breaks down. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. That's um, just a huge dude with honest. like lip rings and mm-hmm. shades and just crying like a little kid. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating human being. I there is something there with the Flannery comparison kind of contrast. Like fascinating human beings or people that are living very intensely. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Whatever they're doing, yeah. Hey, so in all honesty there, I cut I cut out the whole time that you were talking, but I did yeah. catch the end of that. My internet went down. Uh so I, I only caught the end of it. Could you just like s- super briefly sum up what you what you said? Well, my interest was I watched on a day off back to back the new mm-hmm. thirty for thirty on Rodman, and then I watched Barron's Flannery O'Connor one. Yeah. Which I, and, I think I talked to you like right after you watched it, didn't I? Uh, it could have been. I can't when remember I was for to sure. Oh, yeah, I, I went and right. celebrated mass, mass in there. that chapel that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and it was just an interesting experience of, uh, like, Flannery and how she was so in tune with grace. Somehow, in ways I can't like, kind of nail yet, gives me hope for a guy like Rodman who has kind of seen like yeah, the yeah, depths yeah. of misery and human experience. Oh. But like, I don't know, somehow Flanner is just like, wow, she kind of knows what he's talking about as different as they are. Like if you would put up different, you yeah. know, pictures of them For, side yeah, by side, right, right. that would just be, it's like a funny image. Yeah. Oh no. So that was it. That's what you missed. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's so true. Um, so when I went down and visited, well, Connor, do you have any thoughts on that? No, go ahead. Well, when I went and visited, I my sister goes to school down in Milledgeville, where Flannery's from, and where her farm is, and 
I got to celebrate mass in, in her little chapel. Well, in the, the parish chapel, which it, it really is a tiny little like Southern, Southern looking church. It's beautiful. But the thing that's always, um, well, the, the thing that kind of grew on me about her is, um, that how, like externally, how she was super unassuming, like this little petite, pious looking lady with like all these kind of injuries and crutches and all these physical deformities, which, yeah, talking about Rodman next to her, it could not be more different. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it a <laughs> funny image to think of them? Like, funny. I can yeah. see them being <laughs> friends. <laughs> she would like him. Totally, totally. That, yeah. yeah, that's okay. That's what I'm saying is Flannery would like the worm. That's well, what so, I'm saying. <laughs> so yeah. check this out. So, um, Rob, you said something, and, and I've heard it kind of, uh, I've heard it from various people since we obviously first discovered it here on the podcast, thanks to you, Rob. Um, but I, maybe it was a spiritual director or something <clears throat> that told you, if you can't imagine yourself um, not doing something, like if there's a sin that's kind of like too big for you to imagine, then you don't fully know yourself. And and that's a paraphrase. Um, yeah. I can't, I can't remember the exact detail of it, but... No, that's but, it. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that was something that... Uh, that I, at least praying about Flannery and and like preparing a little a homily and being down there with her and and reading some of her material is she is totally unafraid of the gruesome dark side of humanity of like our our fallen our fallen human nature and I think that's because she has actually come in contact with the darker sides of her own humanity which is why she can come up with these incredibly gruesome, violent stories, but she also talks about them in a way where she's not afraid of them. And so she's both acknowledged the full extent of like the dark side of her heart, but also revealed it to Christ. And so she can talk about these, these difficult things where you look at her and you're like, how's this sweet old lady talking about people getting their heads blown <laughs> off and whatnot. And you're like, yeah, man, this is in she like, this is in her mind. And in her heart somewhere, but it grace has not escaped it. Like grace has has even taken over those parts, and so yeah, she's just this kind of un- unassuming, would never guess it. But here's a lady who like knows the darkness of humanity because I think she knows she would have allowed God's grace to invade the darkness of her own heart to fully yeah bring God's light into it. So the the way that she writes about it. She's not afraid of it. And yeah, man. Like, grace has kind of seeped into it. Um, yeah. Huh. No, that's that- good. I mean, and it's, yeah, I think so. I mean, because it's, well, one, like, Rodman is almost like a real-life Flannery character, you know, of, like, he could be in one of her stories um, in some some way. But there is, I, I like what you said there, too, because you get the feeling of hearing him. It's like, dang, man, someone just needs to, and it's not that people haven't tried, I guess, but like someone just needs to tell this guy that they love him and like they're not afraid of him, you know? And somehow, yeah, this little like petite Southern lady, you're right. Like could just, you get the kind of the relentless feeling that she could like walk right up to him and just give him a hug, like from her stories, as crazy as that is, because she's so unafraid in, in her stories. I don't know if that makes sense, but you kind of hit me when you were talking there. 
I don't know if this fits, but um, I went down to the border of Mexico uh, last week with Catholic Extension. Hmm. Um, they do these pastor immersion trips where they invite priests down to uh, see some of the missions that Catholic Extension supports mm-hmm. for migrants, um, like refugee houses or respite centers and things like that. And there's we went down to the Mexico side uh, near Brownsville, and there was a group of nuns there who have a little shelter for um, for folks that are either on their way trying to get across or have been deported. Um, and it's just a, I've been to the border once before a few years ago with Scott, uh, down in Arizona, we'd go, we went for like a week across the border, um, every day to this shelter run by the Jesuits for people that got deported. And just for a very long time, this has been going on and it's got a lot more attention now, but, um, there's something about going and seeing the people, um, who are fleeing their homes, like in Central America and and stuff like that, and just hearing their stories. And there was this one guy at the shelter who, um, that morning, so we were there like three or four in the afternoon, and um, this guy tells a story that he and his 16-year-old son had just at three in the morning that day escaped from kidnappers who had held them hostage for ransom for like three days. Hmm. And they'd actually been sold by one group of drug cartel traffickers to another, and they were being charged $3,000. They wanted $3,000 each from their families to basically let them go. Or they were going to kill them. And uh, somehow in the middle of the night, the guy like left the abandoned house that they were being held prisoner in, and they ran away along with like two women and somebody else that was with them. And uh, ran to this convent, and the nuns took him in and there he was sitting there with his kid, um, just speaking very plainly about the fact that this had just happened to him. And, um, I don't know. I was, I have to confess, I didn't feel much because it was so hard to even imagine that happening. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's one thing when you hear somebody's story and you're like, I can imagine that being me. And that makes me feel really bad for this person. Hmm. But you know what I mean? Like I couldn't get into that space. I couldn't picture that happening. And I listened and, and tried to talk to the guy and, you know, I'll pray for him. But I think that's part of what goes on in these humanitarian situations is it's like, I can't imagine it. I can't imagine the kind of suffering or fear or the cheapness of life. Um, because it's not part of my experience at all. Um, and there might be some like defense mechanism too. Like if I let that darkness in, whoa, where does it, where does it end? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And what am I responsible for, uh, doing about this? You know, Mm -hmm. Mike, you're cutting in and out, huh? Yeah, but I'm, Hey, I'm here to stay. We're good to go. Did you move your laptop to someplace closer to a router? Maybe cause you, you sounded a little bit matrixy. Oh, do I still sound matrixy? You sound fine now. And okay. and this app I think will uh will take care of it in the post production, but Yeah. So I temporarily was working off my phone as a hotspot. I see. Yeah. And until the parish internet quit goofing around. So I think we're good. Oh tight. Yeah. Yeah, did you hear my story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay. did. I did. Yeah, that contrast to um 
big thing going on right now is this, uh, for me, is this girl I knew from Blue Island um, who has mm-hmm. bone cancer. Yeah. And uh, did I send you any prayer requests for that? I forget. You've talked about, you've asked for prayers for, yeah. I don't know, updates recently, but yeah. So she's home now on hospice, 24 years old. And um, yeah, she was in a, she was in the hospital for a while this summer for a few months. And then it was looking like nothing could be done. They sent her to a rehab place, basically a nursing home. And I was going and seeing her about once a week up there on the north side. And then she ended up at the hospital again. And then at a, like an actual hospice place on the south side. And I was just before I left for um, the border this past Monday, I went to see her because the family was like, come quick. Like things just seemed to change really quick. And um, I was surprised like she wasn't talking and I was supposed to go see her the day before, but just stuff got in the way. And then I was like, dang it. You know, I wanted to see her one more time before she was not able to talk or do anything. And, um, she hasn't gotten out of bed, but she's like alert and she smiles and can communicate and all that. But I go down there and Sunday night before my trip and it just looks like, wow, this person's dying. And, uh, stayed there for about an hour and family came and did an anointing. And, uh, then she woke up and, and recognized me like she earlier that day, she hadn't even recognized her own aunt. And, Mm -hmm. uh, she opened her eyes and one of the people in the room said, who, uh, do you see who that is? She was looking right at me. She just goes, father Connor. (laughs) And there's something really Mm -hmm. like the fact that she called me that and knew me as the priest, just stayed there for a while with her and prayed and blessed her. And, um, she was in a lot of discomfort. And as I was leaving, she told me uh, a week prior or something like that, she just doesn't want to talk about death, doesn't want to think about it. She just wants to think about getting better. And she's young and uh, scared. And she uh, had said to me in a moment of lucidity, like, hey, if I die, I want you to do my funeral. And starts crying and everything. And as I was leaving uh, late at night that night, um, her uncle walked me out and and he just said, you know, I, I don't know if Doris told you, but she said she wants you to do the funeral. And I was just like walking back to my car, completely just heartbroken and crying, which is uh, kind of what we talk about here, even though it's very rare that I cry. But uh, there's something like I felt that very deeply, you mm. know, and uh, just the sadness. And also the I mean, there's beauty in it. I'm I'm glad stuff like that happens where you feel a real affection or love for somebody um, and you're able to enter into their suffering and the sadness of what's going on in their lives. I don't know. I feel more like, okay, I've, my heart is more open to reality now than it was before. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying that to contrast and maybe to apply to your Flannery thing about looking darkness right in the eye with the confidence that grace exists. Like you have to, I don't know. There's something attractive to me about about the margins of human experience for that reason, because every time I go there, it hurts and sucks, but it also feels like this is where the real stuff is actually happening, where yeah. like the health of the human person, uh, the wholeness of the human person is actually there. But like if we just stay in the middle, uh, you know, very, very far away from the edges, 
of like death and birth and pain and uncertainty and um like we're protected and safe and you don't have to suffer that much or worry that much but you also don't live very intensely you don't connect to god and to people and and things like that so yeah a guy like dennis rodman like i I don't know i I didn't know that's 30 for 30 existed but just like maybe last year or sometime in recent memory i got really into him on the internet i'm like i want to know more about this guy because i loved him as a bull but he's the kind of person where you feel like something about this person even though he's kind of crazy and going to north korea and being friends with a dictator and like he's just sort of a mess of a human being (laughs) yeah you're like there's something about this guy he's so on the edge that you're like there's something to be learned here or seen you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i want to be friends with him i do too i do too i wanted to do you remember when he dyed his hair like bleach blonde but then he had a bowl in the back of it oh by the way i just want to say doris is doris is uh Still alive. Still, I she got home and I saw her yesterday, and uh, she's fine. She's on hospice still, but yeah, that was yeah. Prayers for her. Prayer man. for her would be nice. You got it. You got it. You got it. Yeah, bowl haircut. You uh, said Dennis Rodman oh. had a bowl haircut. No, I mean it's just it's interesting to even be having this conversation. I just remember being like, what would I have been like, ten when the bulls three peated with him. Mm-hmm. And I remember I wanted to dye my hair bleach blonde with a bull in the back because of Dennis Rodman. Oh, a and bull, my, B-U-L-L. Yeah. B-U-L-L, yep. Right. And my dad was like, no, you're not going <laughs> to do that. <laughs> anyway, it just it wasn't too deep, but I just remember yeah. that about Dennis Rodman. <laughs> the bull haircut, as opposed to the bull haircut, which was cool. Right, not a, not a bull cut. Yeah. <laughs> A bowl haircut. That just shows you fashion, how fickle fashion is, because <laughs> uh, I remember bowl haircuts being like the cool thing to have, and now what <laughs> could be a dorkier look than a bowl haircut? <laughs> hey, there's a couple over at our at our parish school, man. You just got to look at it and enjoy it. How about right. the bowl haircut that's also a butt cut, you know, with the front? Oh, like, yeah, with the middle part. part and the front. Oh, man. There's a yeah. surprising number of mullets around, around my town. <laughs> it's actually in style. So, but that's a whole different rabbit hole. We don't, we don't even think we want to touch that one right now. No. Hmm. Man, your internet's smooth, dude. Yeah. My, mine is yeah. so we're much, so much better. Yeah, we're no hitting, matrix. We're hitting Dang, our stride. <sighs> yeah, dude. I think that's it, that's a helpful way to to put it. Talking about. And of course, this reminds me of Baron's class, but the the fringes, um, like kind of the kind of the edge of human experience. There, um, Flannery, that's where she that's where she lives, man. That's what she writes about, mm-hmm. which is interesting because, yeah, the whole contrast between her external appearance and like what was going on internally within her, both like within her her prayer life, but then also within the way that she wrote, like. She lived on the edges, and she looked like, you know, the most <laughs> stable, quiet, unassuming little Southern lady, and yet everything that was going on inside of her allowed her to relate with a guy f- from Chicago who was like a seven-foot, <laughs> you know, human being, giant, Wormazoid, incredible dude. athlete. You know, it's like, so the place where she lived from, 
allowed her to, yeah, maybe like maybe that experience of her, of yours in Mexico, Flannery would like be able to relate to that because mm-hmm. it's coming from that same place of the margins. And that's an, that's an interesting phenomenon. I think that like that connection, um, and, and when you read her, man, that's part of why I like, I enjoy her so much and reading in general, she can take you to that place. Like, I don't mm. know how to get there, but she's there. And so I'm going to follow her story into it. And the same with mm. the Rodman thing. It's like, wh- how do you do, <laughs> why do you live like this? And what is it like out here? And he kind of takes you to that place. And then honestly, that girl as well. And um, like I, that that kind of margins ministry, um, both like external the the people on the margins of society, but the existential margins. Uh, I remember Baron talking about like that's where the priests should live, mm-hmm. just kind of like right right on the edge there with the toes hanging over. And I, the only way that you can do that is, you know, if the if the Lord takes you out there and like holds you there. Um, yeah, I think but, that. Uh, yeah. Well, I think Flannery had her own edges that she lived on with her sicknesses and stuff. I think that part partly, yep. to me, explains why she was so uh, understanding of the human condition of things that would have been foreign to her, maybe like socially, but um, existentially, she was on the edge. She was sick all the time, and yeah. and she was running in circles where she like she kind of had a meteoric rise, didn't she? All of a sudden, like became pretty famous. Um, and was around a lot of people, but she preferred to stay out on the, out on the farm, um, instead of going to like New York and stuff and being around higher people, you know, important quote unquote people. Yeah. She liked to be in, in real life. Um, but I think that like my, that experience of the, the girl, like what I was trying to contrast is there's certain suffering that I think like, I'm not. I'm just not capable, um, maybe because of my own, uh, lack of personal suffering or, or whatever these defense mechanisms might be, but like certain, certain things like you just read on the news, a shooting or, um, you know, a bunch of people died in this earthquake or something. And you're like, I can't, I can't get myself to feel that, you know, I think most people, if they're honest, they want to feel bad or they like, get themselves to feel a little bad and pray for people or donate some money to a relief effort or something like that. But there's something else that happens when someone you love and know, and you've allowed your heart to be open to is suffering a great deal or that you're going to lose them. Um, Hmm. And my experience was that it makes, it's made me more kind, you know, it's just made me um, more, uh, have better perspective on stuff I'm doing and like what's, what's important and what can be forgiven. Um, you know, I think your preaching as a priest would stink if you didn't spend time on the fringes with people, even though you're like, Oh, I have a homily to write, but it's midnight and I might not see this person again before they die. So I should just go instead of get sleep and whatever, you know, like those sort of decisions are what make you who you are. Um, and you, you wouldn't be a good priest or a person if you didn't 
when invited, go out there, you know? Yeah. I'm thinking of, uh, I'm still working on this Wendell Berry book about farming, uh, the unsettling of America. And the last chapter, it's about the margins, but like agriculturally, he's talking about the, the farms in the Andes, which, um, at least in the seventies, we're still farming in the old way, like pre Spanish conquest. The Andes are just this really weird, um, ecological, uh, place where within 40 miles you have like 10,000 foot difference in elevation mm -hmm. and all these different climates and stuff. So they have different staples and different things that they grow at different heights, um, like fruit at the tropic level and potatoes at this high level and, um, you know, 50 different species of potatoes or breeds of potatoes that, that survive in different, you know, late rains or whatever. So they just diversify a ton, but they also, and I think this was a common pre-industrial, a common farming technique was to like leave part of your, uh, potentially cultivated land wild, you know, like the so-called margins the the places that aren't as fertile or aren't as ideal for farming to leave a little bit like a hedgerow that just kind of grows weedy and wild. And, um, they were just by cross pollination of insects and birds and whatnot. Um, like if there was a drought or, or late rains or something like that, or frost, you'd find on the margins like, Oh, well our whole crop died, but here's this wild, uh, species of potato that did survive so now next year let's plant that one you know so the margins had a had a role in healthy agriculture um and he sort of uses that as a as a metaphor culturally and socially that you know we we just want the modern vision of like the ideal societies to have a super simple everything not just unified but uniform everything the same way so it can be the most efficient and um yeah and all that and you leave out the margins you leave out the wildness uh and you realize like okay yeah we're we're simplified but because of our lack of diversity or like um letting nature kind of have its way sometimes uh we we don't we lose that unity or or it becomes like super complex uh in a way that's fragile and unhealthy um well, yeah, I and this could be a stretch, but I was thinking when you were talking there of, and this isn't even a critique, but there is something so packaged even in like how we have to orchestrate formation in today's world of like, you know, think about like the permission slips that you have to have to yeah. go do like a Saturday volunteer day, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's like, there's something so, um, I don't know, just beige about about that of like that's you can talk ab like about experiencing the margins in that way and it's not it's not bad to volunteer on a saturday or, or do that you know or anything like that but i don't know when you meet someone or encounter someone that has like actually taken the leap to to be there and to say you know what i'm i'm gonna like center my life around this i mean i'm thinking of like I don't know, just an experience of like being around the Franciscans or the Eucharist or something like that, you know, and it, there's just something about them or about people like that, that is like, frankly, intimidating in some ways, but also like utterly inviting, you know, of like, wow, I, there's something so deeply human about this that 
I want more of it, even though it is like the unknown or truly the margins. Um, but does that make any sense? What I like tried to draw there of because when I was talking, like your image there uh, of that, it's like, dang, it's hard to. Um, I'm not saying it's always our like it should be on us, but it's hard to form people and give them. It's hard to like actually give people experiences of the real margins in today's mm-hmm. world, um, which is kind of a tragedy if you think about it, you know? Um, and I guess not always, like it's, it's good in some ways, but does that make any sense? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, for sure. Dude, two things that, that come to mind there. Um, I gave a talk this past week on the gifts of the Holy Spirit at a little deanery, like uh, catechism weekend. And actually, Connor, that's the talk I'm going to give uh, for you guys. And so it was kind of cool to do a little run through. Um, I only made it through like half the talk, so <laughs> I need to do a better <laughs> job of staying staying focused. But um, one of the things that, uh, well, it was great to learn about the Holy Spirit, you know, instead of to actually talk about it in a way that, um, and, to, and to learn about the Holy Spirit in a way that was more than just uh, the Holy Spirit's a mystery. Just, just trust me, I I know Him. That's that's all I can really say about it. Which I feel is like how a lot of people talk about the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, I got to learn a lot about it. But one of the one of the things that came up consistently throughout Scripture was that the Holy Spirit um, just kind of boots people all over the place and and really does send folks out. Um, not always doing necessarily like the quote-unquote right thing or at least what appears to be the right thing externally um but kind of sends people out in this like really really wild but very attractive fashion and one of the passages that i that stuck out to me was is obviously pentecost and that story has it's just incredible what happens that you have all, all the apostles are together they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they come busting out of this upper room and everybody thinks they're drunk. Hmm. Like that's how, that's how wild they are and how full of this like new, of this new life of this new spirit that people think they're actually misbehaving. Like, hmm. and, and it's so like the, the place that they're living from and the, and the place that the Holy Spirit invites us to it doesn't always, like you're saying, it doesn't always look like regimented and and maybe orderly in the way that we're used to and in the way that we construct the majority of our life. But, well, and even take Ezekiel for our first readings for, for the Office of Readings. Mm. Like, yeah, that's where you get this prophetic inspiration. Ezekiel is acting like a weirdo psycho guy. <laughs> He's like cutting holes in walls and climbing through them. He's doing like weird things with his beard. And Does he bury his, his underwear? Is that Ezekiel? Yeah. I mean, like all sorts of these prophetic symbols. But th- it's through this, this guidance of the Holy Spirit that that helps to lead the people of God back, back to God. Um, and it's not... It's in like really unexpected ways. And not that doesn't necessarily mean that everything that's unexpected or wild comes from the Holy Spirit. That's of course that's not the same thing. But it doesn't always look like what you expect it to look like, and yet there's this super attractive quality. So the apostles they bust out and they're they're just full of this life. And the initial reaction is y'all have actually been misbehaving 
But then the attractive power of the way that they're speaking and the gift of the Holy Spirit, it actually does attract everybody to say like, okay, well, what do we do? What tell us like you've you've proclaimed this message? What do we do? Mm-hmm. And then to be baptized and uh, in the name of Jesus. Um, I struggle with it because sometimes there's a there's a brand of Christian who to me is compelling, but I also it's similar. Like I can't inhabit the energy of like the super charismatic. Same. Um, Same. You know, there's something to me that doesn't feel. I'm not saying that they're inauthentic, but it would feel inauthentic to me to be just like as casual about God and his power as some people are and be like, I just speak, I just speak uh, healing into you right now. And I, I've, I trust the Holy Spirit's going to, going to wow us and, and surprise us. And yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. not been my experience, you know, and I, I prayed with Doris that sh- she would be healed. Um, and then I always have in me like this, well, am I hedging my bets and being like, if it's your will, God, and you know, I've known people are just like boldly ask for, for things. And we've talked about this too. And I try it and I'm just like, but at the same time, there's something more real about this that, um, I'm a witness to that, uh, I'm seeing a saint being purified, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and if I just like snap my fingers and, and Jesus did a magic trick and, but that's miracles still happen. And I believe in them. Um, but yeah, well, and that's where, and, and I totally agree. Like I'm a, well, I, the whole, the charismatic movement never really took, um, I, I don't have a personal attraction to it in that way, or, or at least a personal spiritual devotion to it, but I, like totally trust it, totally believe in it. But I mean, I definitely agree. And, and so maybe something helpful is, is it does have to be an authentic creation of the Holy Spirit in in these things and so there's a there's a difference when like if i try and force it where this is just me acting like a wild man I, like i know what spot of my heart that's coming from but when the lord is creating in me and i live from this place of being being created uh by the holy spirit or like and then allow myself to be led from there uh, there is a difference and and so it, it it's of course always the action it's always the action of God. Um Well put it this way, like when I'm walking back to my car the other night and crying about Doris, I get in my car and I sit there and I'm like, there's something very holy about this moment. Uh I'm not about to turn on the radio in the car and the drive back. I'm just like I want to sit in this feeling it, which is not necessarily a good feeling. But um I don't know. I sometimes I feel like a very remedial case in humanization. Like I don't, whether it's my nature or my nurture, um, experiences like that are are few and far between. Like Christ has totally changed me. And if it weren't for him, I, I I don't know what kind of person I would be. Um, but I, I want to feel these things. I want to know life and reality and, see god working and it's especially because um doris and her family are mexican and there's a certain culturally and spiritually there's a certain approach to reality that's different and i don't see it all the time you know um how much god is involved and responsible for stuff you know like like 
I just noticed in the Latino community when people will like come and want to give God thanks for something, it's like, oh, I had this horrible accident and um, I lost a hand, but at least I didn't die, you know, or something like that. And they're so grateful to God. And my thinking is like, well, why didn't God prevent the accident, you know? Um, and I just don't like, I see in the poor and the suffering, um, a certain awareness of the gratuitousness of stuff that I'm not often aware of. And, um, to your point of authenticity, it's like, I feel like I'm becoming myself very slowly by being at the margins. Like that's the only time I feel like I am who I am or I'm, I'm, I'm growing into Connor, the person God made me to be. And, uh, even just like hearing her say father Connor, I think that was part of it. It was like, this girl sees me as a priest and I don't see myself as a priest until someone I love and who needs a priest sees me and calls me a father, you know? Um, so it would be like for me to just blow in and be like, all right, I'm going to, you know, pray in a certain way that somebody taught me how to pray in a charismatic way that doesn't feel to use your word authentic. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't, it, it seems like something else is happening there. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. like, I think that would be a masking of reality there. Right. Like, let's just act like everything's going to be fine. We'll just pray super hard and then we'll get out of this. Or misery. acting all confident when I feel absolutely helpless, you know, yeah. it's just, it'd be fake. Yeah. And, but think about like, I think that takes so much power, like so much trust and actual power. That's not your own to go into that. Who could do that? Who could do that on their own? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it, that's that's pretty radical to go into there with a dying gal. And I mean, it's a beautiful story. Like, you can't do that on your own, man. That crushes you. Mm-hmm. And I remember in seminary when we first started going to the nursing home and singing to the people with dementia <clears throat> with this nun, if you're happy and you know what, clap your hands, and all these older folks in wheelchairs you know, just like children clapping their hands and delighted that somebody was there with them singing and a song that they knew or could remember. And I just like, I felt so, uh, like a fish out of water because I'm like, I, I can't, uh, I can't deal with this, you know, like I'm going to get old one day and be sitting in a wheelchair and someone's going to be singing to me like I'm a child. You know, I'm a, I'm comfortable learning theology and, and all this stuff. And that's why seminary, I feel like you do have to do like super high-minded theology and read Ratzinger. And, but then if you don't go to the jail or the nursing home or, uh, visit the dying, you're not going to be, you're not going to get what any of that means. You know what I mean? Um, or be able to put it into, to sacramentalize it, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I have you guys so are what, many two years in? thoughts. Two years. Well, a year and a half. Year and a half. Year and a half. Yeah, it's intense. It's intense. Uh, it's intense years. living. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. It is, man. It's really good. Uh, do you need to stop, Bisque? Um, I got maybe five, ten more minutes. Five, ten. More. Drop it, Rob. I can feel. It can drop it. I know you got something. <laughs> I want the goods. Drop it like it's, it's hot. It, well, I was, I would also 
I did. I haven't read the book. I just got the book called uh, "When Breath Becomes Air." Have you guys heard of this book Mm-mm. before? I've not. So it was a finalist for the Pulitzer, I think, in 2016. It's about this doctor, um, Paul Kalanithi. Um, when and breath he becomes got, what? When breath becomes air, and it's his his memoirs. He died of lung cancer at like 37 or something. Um, but. Anyway, I've just been sitting with this ever. I heard his wife on actually there was the Art of Manliness podcast had his wife, like his his widowed wife, on talking about his this book and all that. Um, but she talked about how like once he got sick, so he, this guy's like got an undergrad from Stanford in literature, decides to go to medical school. I think he went to Yale Medical School where he met her. Is in his residence is like the chief resident to be a neurosurgeon. I mean, this guy is like you know, very, very intelligent, um, lot going for him type, type guy, um, happily married, gets diagnosed with this rare lung cancer at like 35. And she said, as they process this, I don't think they're Catholic. In fact, I would be very, just the lingo. I I just don't think they are, but, um, they kind of have this conversation when they are, um, finding out how sick he is. But, like, they also have to wrestle with that they have to keep on living as well because he hasn't died yet. And so, anyway, long story short, she talks about it really beautifully, but they have, like, they conceive a child in that, um, like, in those years. And she talks about that they were both very worried about each other. And she says, she, t- she talks about one day she tells him, she's like, well, won't this, when they're kind of still in the decision process, won't this make you dying or won't this make dying more painful for you? Won't this make dying more painful for you? And she said that he responded like without hesitation. And he said, well, wouldn't it be great if it did? And I don't know, man. I just thought like that just hit me hard of, of thinking about that of like, wouldn't it be great if, if it did? Hmm. Um, and so even like, just i mean it was just such a human statement about how tied in like on this side of the veil suffering and love are um and the capacity that human beings have to like to choose that um with all the risk that is is involved and yeah i i, I agree like priesthood oftentimes just is this like insane avenue for that man to be and like and maybe what's always mixed into of why it's hard to talk about is because like i i and maybe what i hear you saying too connor which i relate to is i freaking squander that all the time you know of like these encounters or invitations like to be with people at the margins and then to oftentimes like just invitations and prayer to even deepen it and like see how the lord is there and it's like, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's really beautiful. And then other times it's like, okay, I got to turn on Netflix or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like you just squander it. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just, but I, when, it, when I heard that statement of his wife talking about that, it was like, dang, man. I, obviously, that's a very specific circumstance to a very specific life. But I certainly want to live like that. Mm-hmm. And I oftentimes don't choose that, um, right. even though I think I'm invited to. I know, dude. I know. That's so true. Dude, that's beautiful, man. 
Is that intense? Because because when he says that, he's not saying I wish. I hope I have more pain. Right. No. He's saying no. The more pain that I have will be a revelation of the deepening of love that I have. So it's like, yeah, it, it's it's going to hurt more because I love more because I'm leaving more behind. Uh, right. Yeah. That's that's profoundly, dude. I just see this image of like a deepening of the whole of the Paschal mystery of like the descent and and the upward movement. There's an expansion of of both. Sure. And so it's yeah, it's just like this this expansion of the heart more and more, which is you know something that that we do talk about. Well, yeah. that's kind of like that'd be Stein or like um, sure. even like Dr. Fagerberg's uh, lecture that day at at Mundelein of like when we choose these things or like what we're talking about, it actually makes your your being as a human being bigger. And so, like, that decision of love in that moment amidst that suffering for him, I know this is, like, really abstract in some ways, but it's like it created, like, a new space for, like, what we would call the Paschal Mystery to go even deeper. Oh, for sure. So, it's, then it's bigger. Like, so you're going to talk about, like, the incarnation, like, expanding and being more present. Like, it's decisions like that that expand being that make that possible. Um, which is to me like that, that's Stein, man. That's the science of the cross is exactly what she's talking about. Yeah. Of, like where you can live in that. Um, which, which Connor, to your point, like you can't just come in and create that on your own as well. That all, that whole expansion process, both upward and downward is, is an acceptance. That's an acceptance of what God has for you. Yeah. Like I'm not plunging myself deeper into misery. That's different that's masochism or whatever uh, some misunderstanding of suffering but but when god drags you down <laughs> it's do i let you take me mm-hmm. hmm. do I, yeah do man, i, do I let you take me down so that you can take me up and, yeah. and that and that's where it's like man you you have these moments as a priest well just in life in general you're like i didn't know i could do that and then when I actually pray about it, it's like, I didn't know you could do that. Like, God, I didn't know you could do that in me. And and so there, it's like this, he's he's showing me more who I am um, and what he's capable of doing in and through me, which is, yeah, it's crazy. But then, like you said, Rob, so many times it's like, ah, can't handle that today. Uh, let me just pop open <laughs> YouTube and watch right? Irish people drink shots. And you're like, wait a second. <laughs> Is this expanding me? I don't think so. It's a bat. It's a bat. <laughs> How crazy is that? Why do we do that? I think you just answered it. It's too much sometimes. Hmm. Hmm. Did you say Wormatron earlier, Rob? Wormazoid. Wormazoid. He had there's a there's this clip in the uh in the documentary that he had a shirt on and it's just like I don't know I don't know how to describe it, but it's just like he just embodies nineties style, like in so not with the, like who wore the wedding dress or anything like that, but like it was just this kind of like baggy t shirt of him warming up for a game and it said Wormazoid on the back. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. It is. Dude, he uh, created. He created '90s <laughs> style, man. He like. It's true. He was a tastemaker. He's, he's an innovator. 
I I remember watching Rodman, dude, and everybody loved that guy. Yeah, everybody. Dang. Weird. Weird. All right. <clears throat> Good talk. I'm glad we have a couple scheduled out so people can yeah. count on us in the coming weeks. Hey, thanks for sharing the stuff on uh, Doris, man. We'll pray for her, but yeah, that's that's pretty. It's just pretty raw, even to hear you talk about it. So appreciate you, appreciate you sharing. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. All right, love you guys. Love you too. See ya. See ya. This is bye. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.